0: Wow. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Pastor Paul here. It is a Tuesday morning. Let's see here. It's January 24th, 2023, year of our Lord. Hard to believe, but it's been over two months, 10 weeks, I think is about what it's been since we've done one of these pastoral devotionals, but we are back and so glad that you have joined us. Now, When I did my State of the Church Address, which we don't like that language, we call it Mission of the Church, right? I talked about sort of a new vision for these pastoral devotionals. So for a long time, what we've done is unpack God's Word um, sort of post-haste or after the fact um, of the sermon on Sunday. So we would, for example, when we did Romans Rewind, I would preach through uh, a passage in Romans, and then the following week, we would sort of come and pick up the, um, you know, so, so some of the details. We would, we would explore different themes or talk about application points or address questions. In other words, things that, that we may have had lingering questions about um, after um, listening to the sermon. Well... And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it was fruitful and all those good things. But but one of the convictions on my heart, entering this new season, is that we not just be consumers of the word, but we be actually, um, those who sort of take ownership and are proactive in feeding ourselves through Bible study. So what we're going to do is instead of coming after the sermon and making comment, we're going to use that week's devotionals to look at the passage that we're going to be preaching on that sunday Um, using it as an opportunity uh, to read through it to prepare to pray and then for me to sort of lead us through a time where we are learning how to study the word of god for ourselves and how to um, examine it and how to how do you think about it how do you get the meaning from a passage how do you begin to apply it to yourself and in that way, we're, you know, making that journey from from just receiving fish from someone to learning, excuse me, how to fish and to feed ourselves. So that's sort of the vision. And of course, the 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 book of the Bible that we're going to be working through this season is the Gospel of Matthew. And. We have been through the first two chapters of Matthew, so we're still here pretty early at the the onset. And what we're going to do is, I'm gonna actually read the passage that we're gonna be preaching on that Sunday. And we're gonna spend the whole week um, picking up different pieces of it and learning how to study it and apply it. Now, as usual, if you have questions about this as we're going through it, just email me, paul.gilbert at I'll make sure to, to circle back and, and answer some of those questions about the way we're doing preparation and study. Also keep in mind that these devotionals aren't the sermon themselves. In other words, sometimes we may be focusing on a very specific portion of the text. Sometimes we may be focusing on the text as a whole. We certainly won't be saying everything we could about this passage in one day, in 10 or 15 minutes. That defeats the whole purpose, right? So more just trying to orient us here to how this is going to work in an ongoing way. So first of all, let me read the passage that we're going to be camping out in this week. And of course, this is uh, Matthew chapter three, and our passage is going to extend down to verse 12. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So those are our 12 verses. Now, one of the things that I'm going to recommend to you um, as far as study helps or things that will help you in your study is, is you know, I, I could recommend... Different commentaries and those sorts of things, but let's be honest: um, we want to have something that's workable for us as lay folks. You do, uh, where you may not have hours upon hours to study the scriptures, um, which is which is fine, which is okay, because God hasn't asked you to spend all day, every day studying His Word in that way, in in that technical sense. You're to have it on your lips and on your hearts, but you have missions to accomplish, families, and marriages and jobs to to attend to. That's why we have teachers to help us. But so knowing all that, knowing that our time, your time is going to be limited in a given day, what resource would I recommend that what I think would help you the most? And I would just simply say, um, get a good study Bible. Okay, so a study Bible is one that has not only the text of scripture, but that also has notes or or commentary notes in the passage as um, you move along, as you're reading, you can make notes of what the commentators might say about that particular passage. It also can give you, at the beginning of these books, overviews of the book, right? Who wrote it? Who Who were they writing it to? And why were they writing it? When was it written? What were some of the themes? And I think Um, having a good study Bible is a great resource and there's, there's a number of good ones. You can get the ESV study Bible. Um, you can get an NIV study Bible. Um, I think the reformation study Bible is an outstanding resource. Um, there's certain study Bibles that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but most are going to be pretty good and all are going to really help you understand the broader context of what you're reading. Because let's face it, um, We're jumping into the middle of a story here in Matthew chapter three. There are things that have gone before. There are things that that have come after. We also have to remember that when Matthew or Paul or Peter, whoever was writing, they didn't write this in chunks. They wrote it as one letter or in the context of the gospels, they wrote it as one biography. It was meant to be read in a sitting or a reading or read through. And of course they very much anticipated that that people would come back the christians and and would read the different passages and pick them apart but we have to understand in their original context they were one document okay and saying that we know that these chapter and verse divisions are not part of the original text they were uh, the church utilized them and i think the first ones were done hundreds of years ago before the reformation Um, to help us study and resource the Bible for ourselves and to make it easier, um, because we don't typically memorize entire books or letters um, like the scribes and often many Christians did, it gives us a way to resource them. And so these, in your Bible, you'll notice that they're divided into something scholars called pericopes or sections. And a lot of times, like for example, in my little study Bible here, it says at the top, 3 1, John the Baptist prepares the way. And then the next pericope is down at verse 13, the baptism of Jesus. Again, those little taglines are not part of the original text, they're just divisions that the translators have put there to help us to study. Now, knowing all that, um, when you're studying a book of the Bible, it's oftentimes helpful, and it is helpful to just spend a little bit of time getting the scope of the background. Okay, now we've talked a lot about this with Matthew, but let me just give us a couple of things to think about as we're reading this text. So so we know Matthew is the author. He was an original um, disciple who later became an apostle commissioned by Jesus. He's writing sometime in the 60s, probably before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he's writing primarily, we think, to Jewish Christians and, um, by extension, their non Christian Jewish neighbors and friends. And Matthew's singular purpose, or, or his primary purpose, it seems to be, is to show that, in fact, Jesus is the long awaited, appointed, prophesied Messiah that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and that what Matthew does in these first two chapters, okay, and again, we're, we're leading up to our passage that we're going to be looking at this week. What, what Matthew has done in these first two chapters is to, is to try to establish Jesus's lineage, to try to show, in fact, that he is descended from Abraham and David as the Messiah had to have been that he in fact was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and that he was born of a virgin, that he escaped to Egypt, that he was called out of Egypt, that he was worshiped by wise men, that he was that he was born of a virgin. In fact, that all of these things were fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that Jesus was not simply another um, prophet that he was, in fact, the prophet, the one that would come after Moses and be greater than Moses and lead his people and save his people from their sins. We also know that one of Matthew's chief themes is this idea of the kingship of Jesus, that in fact, Jesus is the anointed king. And we see things like the Magi coming to worship Jesus and um, that Herod is trying to kill this king of the Jews, right? One king killing another. And we have to understand that part of Matthew's purpose is also to show us that this king is coming to establish his kingdom. All right. And that brings us to John chapter three. And the first thing we're going to learn today is how important it is to note what comes before and what becomes and what comes after the passage that we are studying. So you'll notice down in verse 23, the last we heard of Jesus is that he went and was born and raised, or not born, he was raised in this town called Nazareth as a fulfillment of prophecy. And we think he's probably two, three, four years old at this point. And then all of a sudden, there is this fast forward. There is a 25-year fast forward. And when it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching, Matthew is making a significant shift in the narrative story. It's not that what happened in those 25 or 30 year intervening years was unimportant, but I think it's Matthew's way of saying that what happened during those times, and we don't know exactly what happened, in Jesus's childhood, we, we have a story or two from, from Luke. But for Matthew's purpose, it's not that what happened during that time was insignificant, it's just that it was unremarkable. In other words, Jesus um, lived a very normative childhood life in first century Judea. But now we're fast forwarding to 25 years later, John the Baptist is on the scene. That, so this that is what comes before, okay, that's of note. Now what comes after this pericope is the baptism of Jesus, okay? So what we see here is that John the Baptist, whoever and whatever he is, and we're gonna talk about that next time, that what his mission is or his purpose is to link, okay, the early coming of the king to this present day coming of the king so the king is born he goes and lives this obscure life for 25 30 years but then john the baptist comes on to the scene and it's his job to announce the coronation of the king or to announce the presentation of the king and 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 this gets into the baptism, which, we'll, we'll, we'll again, we'll talk about next week. But if you want to know, in essence, what is happening here, um, this first verse gives us the clue. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, that means the king must be at hand. And so the people of Israel are there for a pronouncement. They are there to hear about this coming kingdom and this coming king. But they're not to be mere bystanders, right? They are to reorient their life. So we think about repentance as going one way and then turning and going the opposite direction. It's a military term, that's true. But it means more than simply changing one's behavior. It means to change one's outlook. It means to change one's perspective. It means to in fact, reorient every aspect of one's life to this new reality. And so John is making no small pronouncement here. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The king is coming. He's coming to establish his reign. He's coming to establish his rule. Wake up, pay attention. Turn your heart, mind, and affections to this king because he is God's long-awaited and appointed Messiah. Now, between now and tomorrow, you have a little assignment, okay? And that's to read through this section, 1 through 11, several times for yourself and just begin to make notes of things that you see flowing from this first verse that John the Baptist comes proclaiming, okay, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is the kingdom of heaven at hand? What does John say about this kingdom? What does repentance mean? Okay, all of this are things that you can begin to, to flesh out and think through as you're studying this passage on your own. And as we come back tomorrow, we'll begin to pick up some of those themes that come from this headliner Verse, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Let me just say one practical thing for us. I can't resist, okay? Here, we have the dynamics of the Christian life. The king has come. The kingdom is here. Jesus has established his rule and reign. Yet, it's not completely fulfilled. There's still sin and brokenness in the world. And because of that, not only do we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying that in this life, there is a constant call to reorient our whole minds, body, spirit, souls to this coming King. He makes an astounding claim upon us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for this opportunity to, to dig back into these devotionals. And we pray, Lord, that you would use them in our lives in a powerful way to help us to learn to study your word. Lord, help us to re- remind us today, You are the king. You have come. You are establishing your rule rule and reign. We want to orient our lives to you. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow as we continue.